We're back at full strength this week to talk about everything in the world of baseball, and there was a lot of news coming from a lot of important people. We'll break it all down here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Back again for another week of exciting talk about the world of independent league baseball, or I guess it's technically partnership league baseball now, as if we kept with the indie ball theme, it would really just be like the Pecos League and the United Shore League and a couple of those uh, kind of other smaller leagues, I guess. Are we now the partner league podcast? Like, like what is this? I mean, like, if you went with the party league podcast or the party report, it would be really misleading, I feel like. I think we'd get the uh, the wrong demographic from what we're going for. Yeah, that's true. I feel like people would tune in and be and be very confused when when we're talking about uh it, um when we're talking about indie ball expansion. I, but then again it probably would make it a lot easier to get sponsorships from like Bush Light or something along those lines. Yeah, that you know what that that's a good point. Maybe that's something we have to look into. I, it certainly is, which I do want to know, how many people are actually going to refer to the partnership leagues as partnership leagues as opposed to just continuing to call them indie leagues? No, no one. Okay. Good. I mean, like in press releases, probably, but uh, or like in official like articles, I guess, by major publications. I mean, I guess I, I guess that's like the correct term now, but I, I mean, I've been saying indie ball for so long, and I mean, it's still still is indie ball. I mean... I mean, we'll, we'll get more into the Rick White uh, interview later, but he, it doesn't really seem anything that different from uh, fr- from what we're used to in indie ball. So I'm I'm gonna keep calling it indie ball, and I don't think that's a I don't think that's any sort of jab. Or I mean, we, obviously, me and you both know how talented indie ball is. So I, I guess. You know, you know, I, I get. I'll, I'll keep calling it indie ball unless it. I mean, that becomes like something you don't do. But I, I think, I, I think it's safe to say, just keep yeah. keep it in indie ball. Yeah, I think that's just how it is. I mean, really, now it's the difference between saying cotton swabs, or Q-tips, or band aids, or adhesive bandage. It's right. all the same thing. One's just a brand name, as opposed to the other. Which is kind of like I understand why they're doing it. Like I said, it's the official term now, so you have to go along with it. But it does seem kind of weird from a branding perspective. Like you've built up independent league baseball, and when you use the word independent, there's a certain mindset that comes along with it. To now switch it to partnership, it seems to kind of go directly against what you've been building towards for the past nearly 30 years now. So I mean, like obviously, uh, if what was said in the various um, topics we have today is true, then it's obviously a good decision. But even still, it's a bit odd, and I guess with that soft intro into everything we're talking about today, I'll kind of preface everything we're going to go over, and then we'll just kind of jump into it. Uh, obviously, as you could tell, there's both Will and Nick here today, and uh, we're going to recap a little bit of what I discussed last week on the show. Uh, only a couple of topics, so we'll try and knock those out fairly quickly, and then we have some news about the Canaries apparently being sold, or at least being up for sale in part. Uh, so we'll cover that real quick, and then we wanted to talk a little bit about the Facebook Live that the Somerset Patriots did with Rick White, as well as an interview that Josh Schaub had done uh, with uh, Sabercast. I believe it was last week or about 10 days ago now. And 
I didn't talk about it last week all too much because it was something where realistically it's kind of hard to have a one-man conversation about. So push it off a week, touched touch a little bit on the article I wrote, which we'll go into some detail about towards the end if we have time. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of our itinerary for the day. And I guess with that, we'll talk about some of the stuff from last week first, which namely there's only two real topics I... I really think we need to circle back around on there. And that's the first one being Ottawa's manager, which, uh, as we know, was announced last week. And it's Steve Brook, and he has a a long resume managing with River City from the Frontier League. He did that for about 10 years. Extremely good record, extremely good results, by and large, from him. And he seems to be a fairly young and fairly good manager. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that from last week. There's no doubt about it that, um, Ottawa, the Ottawa Professional Baseball Club, since I guess calling, uh, since they don't have a name yet, as we'll get it, as we'll get into later, hiring Steve Brook. I mean, it, it's a home run hire. It really is. Uh, it, it's, it's a name that I, I kind of thought about when, when looking at potential Ottawa managers. Wasn't sure if maybe he'd, if he'd be interested in taking the Ottawa job, which technically is an expansion franchise from, from the Frontier League. But, I mean, he, he is one of the most accomplished managers we've seen in the Frontier League. I mean, it's a 566 winning percentage. I mean, even in, in his last season he managed, he won the, uh, Frontier League championship. I mean, it is, you get, you get everything you're looking for when you're leading, uh, I, I guess what's kind of a, a young franchise or a franchise in Ottawa that hasn't really had a ton of success, even in the Can-Am League. And I'm, I'm not as relevant as, uh, other, uh, other leagues or sports just because you have such a new, a new team every year. But it's a, a franchise in Ottawa that really hasn't had too much success. And I think you bring in a guy like Steve Brook and he's going to give you a chance to win. He's going to put together a, a really, a really good roster for the Frontier League, uh, next year. Um, I, I think Ottawa fans should be really, really excited about uh about them bringing in Steve Brook as their manager and it, it's really it's really a home run hire I don't think there's really any other way to put it that could uh, be more accurate I agree with you 100 percent I gave my full thoughts on it last week so I won't go too along here but two of the other points I wanted to make quickly is you were talking a lot about the team success and how he's one of the better managers we've seen in the Frontier League in the roughly 10 seasons he managed, he managed to get up to sixth all-time in wins in the Frontier League. I understand wins may not be the, the best stat here, but as far as wins go, uh, for a manager, that is from the leading ones, as it's yeah. all on him for building a roster, maintaining that roster, filling in the gaps throughout the year as it goes along. I mean, having nearly 550 wins in that time frame is very impressive. And even more impressive than that to me is that he only has one losing season. Right. I was just about to mention, yeah. Yeah. The one losing season in 2012, it came off, I think, his career best in 2011. He had almost 70 wins that year, which in and of itself, 70 wins in a 100-game season is amazingly yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Just, it's it's something else. Actually, I think it may have been even fewer games than that at that point. But regardless, the point still remains. It's off the charts. And it's not like he was unemployed for too long after River City folded. I mean, uh, who was it? Gateway, I think it was, picked him up to be their pitching coach fairly soon after. I think it was only about a month or two later he wound up going there. And like you were saying, I, was, I wasn't necessarily sure if Otto was going to be an option for him. 
And I was just, I was almost surprised, or I shouldn't say surprised that he, he was considering the Ottawa position just because it seemed like he wanted to stay in that general St. Louis area. I know River City is right around there. Gateway's right around there. And he was actually one of the guys I was thinking of for Gastonia. As, right. you know, he clearly has had success at the Frontier League level, and we've seen them not be shy, particularly David Martin, who had a hand in building High Point. They grabbed, uh, Jamie Keefe from the Can-Am League, and obviously the Can-Am and the Frontier are on fairly comparable levels when they were two separate entities. Obviously, now they're one. And it seemed like it could be a nice kind of, you know, symmetry there where you grab Steve Brook in there. But I guess he wanted to stay in the Frontier League or the Gastonia team didn't offer him the position or rather the Atlantic League didn't offer him the position. And regardless, uh, it seems like a great hire for Ottawa. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like I said before, I'm, I'm almost surprised it was an option for him, like you said as well. And so, I mean, Ottawa should, the ownership and the fans should, should be absolutely thrilled that they're bringing in a guy of, of Brooks caliber to, to manage their team. Absolutely. And so then the last thing from uh, last week I just wanted to recap quickly was, and speaking of Gastonia, they un- announced the uh, name choices and some information regarding those names. Uh, as I said last week, there was over 700 names submitted in about a two-week period. Uh, they picked the five finalists. You can vote on all of these on their website. And actually, over the last week, they did little uh, social media posts kind of describing each of the names and I guess giving what the logo would be or a mock-up of the logo. And I will say, after seeing the logos, my opinions kind of changed on some of these names as well. Uh, and those finalists would be the Fire Ants, the Hogzillas, Hot Shots, Uppercuts, and Honey Hunters. So uh, again, uh, I'm curious to know what your name or what your thoughts are on the names, and uh, which one is your front runner. So I, I think, in my opinion, because I, I did put up a, a poll on my uh, ALPB News story. Uh, but trying to just get a gauge of what other fans were thinking as far as whether they liked the name, or maybe not necessarily their favorite, but whether they liked it at all. And uh, they, they kind of the fans kind of agreed with me in the sense that the Honey Hunters and Uppercuts don't really seem like great great team names, and I'm in agreement there. I think honestly, I can rule those two out um, immediately. So, as far as the other ones, my personal favorite. And it, it didn't get get a ton of support, I guess, from other fans. But I love the Hogzillas. I mean, what? first of all, what the hell is a Hogzilla? I don't even know what a Hogzilla is. But I do know that mascot is going to look sick. The logo is going to be awesome. And can you imagine the amount of like shirts and hats and, and other merchandise that they're going to be able to sell with the Hogzilla logo? I mean... That would really make them stand. That would really make Gastonia stand out. And listen, I and not to say I, I hate the name like Hot Shots, but because I, I think it's a decent name. Or and the Fire Ant, the Fire Ants would probably be my number two, just because I think that's a that that's a pretty good name as well. But I think naming naming your team the Hogzillas, like it's so unique that I think it'll really play to their benefit. And again, I really want to see what a Hogzilla mascot would look like. I, I'm just absolutely fascinated by what that would look like. See, I'm almost on the opposite end of you. I was really big on Honey Hunters because I was like, oh, this could be interesting. 
Plus, I just thought it was like out of the names, it was probably one of the better ones. I wasn't big on Hogzilla's at first because I was like, what the hell is this? This isn't even like, are there even hogs around there? Like, like what the hell is a Hogzilla? And I was went the opposite way on that. However, when I saw the logo, I was like, okay, I'm, it's growing on me more. And originally I was pro Hot Shots because I was like, oh, cool, a spiritual successor to the AAF. When they had the Arizona one, and <laughs> that, that thing, that's a great, uh, it's a great point. So at first I was like that, but then when I saw it, I was like a rabbit instead of something cool with the firefighting theme, because you could have really went cool on that. You could have went like the little uh, kind of badge emblem there, or you could have went with something in regards to that. Instead, you went with the rabbit, which again, I'm not inherently against the rabbit because the rabbits are pretty cool, but. You would have needed to go with something different there as far as the name goes to make the rabbit work. So that one kind of fell off for me. Uh, Fire ants just off the bat, I was not really thinking of because I was like, uh, this really? Is, yeah, because for me, it was like, this is such a generic minor league name. And it seems like it belongs in like a summer wooden bat league. So I just, I wanted nothing to do with it. So it really came down to like uppercuts, which I was like, it sounds a little too beer leaguey for me. Where it's like, ah, oh, this is going to be really creative, but really it's not creative in the least bit. And then it came down to really Honey Hunters as like the only thing left that I really liked. But now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, either Honey Hunters or Hogzillas, I guess I'd be cool with. I'm leaning towards Honey Hunters solely based on the, there's too much red in the league already. I want different colors. You know, I, I do understand that because there, there is... There is a lot of red in a, in a lot of the teams. I think that's a that's a pretty good point. Um, although I don't know, I disagree with you on fire ants. I, it does sound typical minor league. I get it. I don't. I don't. I don't agree though that that's necessarily a bad thing. It, you know, I, I think the I think the fire ants would be pretty cool. I think it has a, a nice local a nice local connection to to Gastonia and the surrounding uh, North Carolina area as well i mean to uh, to be honest i just really want the hogzillas i don't know if it'll win just because it's kind of it's kind of gimmicky in, in, in a similar way that like the florence y'alls so yeah. i think they kind of they kind of changed my mind about how to look at these team names i'm just looking for mayhem to be <laughs> honest with you and i think the hogzillas would provide that mayhem and just provide an awesome looking mascot like it, re- it really would like I, I was I was pretty impressed with with hype the rocking horse. Uh, yeah. First of all, hype the rocking horse, great Instagram. You should go follow at hype the rocking horse. This I don't is the run second it, host but, uh, that's been pimping out hype the rocking horse and their Instagram. This is the second time it's happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I like hype though. I, I think I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a coincidence how everyone keeps promoting this Instagram. Because hype the rock, I mean, hype the rocking horse and uh, and pinch the blue crab. To, I mean, you, you can't beat them. You, you just can't. You can't beat them. I know. Oh God, I remember when you ranked mascots like a long time ago. Yeah. Must have, must have been like a year. Yeah, it was last August. Ago. Last August when I wrote okay, that. Okay, so yeah. yeah, a little more than a year ago. And I remember that you were big on Swatson. I'm not that big on Swatson. Swatson's be great because of the name. Yeah, I mean, I I get it, like a blue crab in any sense, but he's just awesome. He's just pinch. You know, and I know, and I know James, uh, James was huge on the blue crab. And to be honest, I, ha- I have to agree with him. I, so 
I mean, I like Swanson. I'm not. I'm not as big of a Swanson guy as you are, per se. I mean, I'm just saying. I had Pynchon second, and I just put Swanson first because, again, it's a great name. And while Pinch is fine, I got no hate towards him. It's just not quite as inspired. But regardless, no, of- he ins- he inspires me. Pinch the blue crap <laughs> inspires me on a daily basis. Oh, you got one of those motivational posters hanging up in your room yes. with Pinch the Blue Crab saying "Just do it" or something. That's right. I, I think I think if 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 Nike gave him a shot to just I don't know hold up a sign and say and say "Let's do it" or the you know d- don't like uh, don't run a mile, run a marathon like that whole commercial. Oh, I, that. I don't. But but instead of like somebody else running it's pitch the blue crab running i mean that that would that would inspire me to like run through a wall for for him like you do know there are people from southern maryland that listen to this show and that there's a 50 50 shot that this could happen now right if if this gets to them please if they made a parody of, of that of that of that nike commercial with pinch the blue crab in it oh my goodness that would be the greatest that would be probably the greatest work of art i have ever seen in the atlantic league actually a free idea to actually any of the kind of i guess front office types or communication types that listen to the show that have a mascot if you had your mascot just redo and kind of parody a bunch of famous commercials that would actually be a pretty (laughs) good season like you could do that one you could do the uh let's see what else you could do more recent ones too like uh the zion one with uh, him doing all the different sports, kind of like the yeah. take on the bow nose. You could do, actually, you could do bow nose. You could do uh, the old Apple come on where they take the hammer and they throw it through the giant screen. That's one, too. There's right. a slew of them that you could just do. There's really no shortage of it. Oh, I know. I mean, there's, it, it's, trust me, you, there's so many directions. You, so if any front office members are listening to any independent league team, take your mascot and make, uh, and make commercial parodies in the off season. It's going to be it, it's going to be great, and p- the fans will love it. I promise you, I will definitely love it. Yeah. So those are some options here. Even Gastonia maybe is a choice here, and I'm definitely going to be pushing to get some of the more team execs on as I start to get the interviews going. I've been slacking off on that, and actually, uh, when I when we finish here, I probably should email a lot of them to try and schedule dates and whatnot. But I'm gonna right. we're gonna bring this up to them. <laughs> I can, oh, has to. Be. We have to. Because this is free publicity. It's pretty cheap. You already got these guys on the payroll. You might as well use them like that. But Exactly. I mean, and there's a lot of other great things mascots do, like like community outreach and stuff. Why not? Why not make? Why not make commercial parodies? It's gonna. It, it's gonna be great. So I agree. I think that's that's an idea. We we, we really got to push. Like any, like literally any mascot, it would work. Exactly. It just, it just works so perfectly, especially the more outrageous looking ones. It's. <laughs> It really works. I agree. Uh, you don't actually. Now I really want to see general admission doing this. Oh, that's true. Uh, Rest in peace, general admission. Uh, I guess with that, we should actually get started on all the uh, the topics for this week here, seeing as we've recapped everything we need to and, and really give and us some great some- ideas to some... Uh, some promotional directors out there but yeah we, we we've recapped uh last week and then some i think i think we i think it was a worthwhile detour though so <laughs> uh so we'll quickly go through the canary sale and then get to two of the other things we have here but it's a fairly uh fairly quick week and i did it just dawned on me too something i forgot to mention we were talking about ottawa they have their name the team contest up and running now too 
So you can go to their website and uh, just submit your name or the name of the team you want. Uh, and they'll release their finalists too later in the year. It should all, you know, how these things work at this point. We've gone through these things right. enough where you kind of can guess. Uh, and just for the record, I put Ottawa Nordiques down. So, cause they, they prefer something that works in both English and French too, because of where it's located geographically. But, right. I, I, you know, I probably need, um, I, I'm I'm interested to see what their finalists are. I'm not sure when exactly that um, the name the team contest closes, but 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 you're right. I think something that could kind of work in French and, and English. I, I think that that's a good idea. Yep. Plus, if you really get desperate, you could just reuse a name that's already in the league. We have two minors. We could go with two eagles. There's already precedent for it, so you might as well. Exactly. Nothing's off the table. But right. with that said, we will go to the Canaries now. And uh, the quick rundown of it is, uh came out that the Canaries are, well, the Canary owners are looking to either sell partially or all of the team to a local ownership group. Uh, those two owners would be Mark Ogren and Tom Garrity. Uh, they're still committed to the league for the next three years. They're, the Canaries are going to be in the American Association for that long, bare minimum, and I imagine for much longer here. And like I said, they do want to sell at least partially to a local ownership group. Uh, they just were saying that a local ownership group would know how to grow the team more, better the attendance, saying that we haven't been hemorrhaging money, but we certainly haven't been making money either. And a local ownership group could much much easier uh have a much easier time rather of of turning a profit because they just know the people around more and as they said when we came to town no one really knew who we who we were and that's an issue when you're running a small community-based organization like a minor league baseball team and from this what i kind of gathered from it is it sounds like if they only sell part of it they want a local guy that's influential in the community, partially to help draw attendance and get people into the ballpark, but also to try and push for a brand new stadium. Uh, there's right. a couple other interesting things that uh, came up on this topic, both from the Argus article and from the podcast that discussed this too. I think it's called Nobody's Listening, Listening Anyway. I don't know for certain. I do know it's linked in the show notes, though, so you could check it out, too. I believe their conversation starts around the 41-minute mark and runs till about the 55, 56-minute mark. There's no doubt, and it, as it was mentioned in the article, I'm, uh, and and the Canaries aren't, aren't alone in this, but as good of a season as they had on the field, uh, I'm sure they did lose a good amount of money uh, off the field it sounds like attendance wasn't great even with the limited attendance and i mean when you're limiting attendance that's one thing but you gotta like for example if you're holding it to what like 1500 fans oh, you, you gotta fill the 1500 fans i mean that's just i yeah. mean that, that that's just the reality of the situation and i think that especially in a community like sioux falls i think they're right in the sense that they need local ownership group and they can't just it, it kind of does sound like that um the current owners are kind of pretty hands-off and i don't think that really works in any independent uh independent league market uh unless you have a guy who's really uh in the community running the day-to-day uh operations of and it doesn't seem like that's what's what's happening here and 
not to mention when you're when you're looking for a new stadium, I agree. I think the the birdcage probably is a little outdated at this point, as mentioned uh, in the article, which is again like Nick said, linked in the show notes. It's definitely becoming a lot a lot more outdated as the years go by. And and do they need a new stadium? Yes, but again, you need to give you need to give. The, the 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 town of Sioux Falls, the city of Sioux Falls, I'm not 100 percent sure, but you, you need to you need to give them a reason to uh, help you with building a new stadium. And unfortunately, when you have a t- certain attendance issues and um, well, like they said, they haven't really been profitable. It's hard to it's hard to make that case to to build a new stadium. I mean, th- think back to the New Britain situation uh, back in the uh, in the Atlantic League. So I think it's definitely, definitely right. It's definitely right for them to look for local ownership partners who are in the community. They know what the community needs and they could help get more, um, more people to the ballpark on a daily basis. I think that's going to be the key for them. Local, a local ownership group in, in every, uh, in every independent league market's a good thing. And, and certainly, uh, in the case of Sioux Falls as well. It's one of those interesting positions, too, where you also, when you go to build a stadium, you need to have a place to put it that's going to be better off than where you're at now. Otherwise, there's an argument to be had that you should just upgrade the ballpark you have as much as you can and then make do with what you have. Also, you have to factor in, you need corporate backing here. And the one thing that keeps coming up whenever I look into the Sioux Falls bit, whether it was back when they were mentioned as a possible spot for a, a Twins affiliate or now even, it seems like there's no real corporate community there, which is obviously something that's very important. I mean, uh, when yeah. Rick White was doing his Facebook Live, that was one of the things he said we look for. It's actually the second thing he said. Obviously, a place that wants us and attendance is going to be our first priority, but our second thing is the corporate community. What's that look like? That's where they want to go into. And obviously, Sioux Falls isn't this thriving metropolis where you're going to have 15 different people lining up to go in for big money sponsorships. And the name that keeps getting brought up is the Sanford Health Group or something along those lines, I believe it is. And so I did some digging into it because it in the podcast, it was brought up that, oh, well, there's some things going on with them right now that, you know, depending on how it turns could affect this. So I was curious to know what that was. And it, it, long and short of it is apparently there's a malpractice against the surgeon and the surgeon was fired because of it. But the surgeon suing Sanford Health for mail for wrongful termination, I guess the, the malpractice thing or something along those lines didn't turn out to be factual. I just did a cursory overview of it, so I could be off here, but uh, that's the that's the general gist of it from what I can gather. It seems like that could wind up being something that affects them in a large financial sense, obviously. And right. if that's the case, then obviously they're not going to be investing more money into it. And already they seem to have a hand in just about everything corporate-wise. So, yeah. I mean, it would be totally on them if they want to build this or not, because it seems like they're the only ones that have the private backing to do it. And I can't imagine the city of Sioux Falls is going to finance a brand new ballpark without the promise of having an affiliate there, which obviously yeah. if you're building a brand new ballpark on the level of the other American association ones, namely Chicago and Milwaukee, but certainly CHS field in St. Paul, 
you're going to want an affiliate and an affiliate's going to want you because it's going to be a higher standard of a ballpark. And as it was said in the podcast interview, and this was would be a bit of a reversal from everything that St. Paul was saying, is that they are the plan is for St. Paul to become affiliated and that this is really just kind of a putting on a uh, a good face for the for the crowd, as it were, and that they they're saying they don't want to be affiliated, but they fully plan to be. Now, whether or not that's truthful or not, I don't know. I, obviously, we've talked about the benefits of being affiliated as opposed to being now a partnership team. There's we've went that over to death, but it's plausible. It's also plausible that the other thing will happen, what we've expected to happen, which is they won't be affiliated, but. Regardless, either way, just looking over the map and the corporate look of Sioux Falls, there really isn't a downtown location for a ballpark. There really isn't a large corporate base for a ballpark. So I don't really see any shot of a new ballpark getting built one way or the other unless you magically create more room downtown or you see a large corporate push into Sioux Falls, both of which Mm. I think it's fair to say is extremely unlikely. Right, and I think another point that of what Rick White was saying in in, in his answer about what he looks for uh, in in when he, when he's looking for a new market, and I think I'm sure the American Association is the same way, and I'm sure Josh Schaub thinks the same way as well. Not only do you need to have that corporate backing, but also they're they they're you also look to put independent league ballparks. In cities, you don't want to you you don't want to have fans to drive to a suburb per se, and so oh you can go you can go to a baseball game but you have to you have to drive a half hour to it to a suburb or whatever. Even if it's close to a major city, it doesn't work like that. People people as as great as independent league baseball is, to expect four thousand people or so to drive to drive out of the city for 20 25 minutes to get to a, to get to a game just isn't realistic and i think that's what rick white said and i thought was really interesting uh because again i mean you look at the 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 two the two new markets for uh for the atlantic league gastonia and high point in both of those cases that's right smack in the middle of downtown because you have to remember Independent, independent league teams, they're, they're looking to be an option for entertainment. They're not really, com- as uh, countless people have said, affiliated with leagues. Independent league baseball teams are not competing so much so with affiliated teams and other, and other sports. They're competing with other, way- of other ways to have a nice night out, like a movie theater, uh, for an example, uh, as, as an example. And so, you really need to have if there's no way for them to build a ballpark in downtown Sioux Falls to relate this back to the Canaries, I, I don't see a way this could work. And I, I don't really see I don't see a way this ballpark, especially with unless they can radically turn around attendance, I don't I don't see a way this this ends well, I, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Unless they can bring in a new ownership group that can recreate some excitement. I don't know, maybe rebrand the team or something, make a new team name, try to get some excitement. Uh, but but you're right, Nick. You're 100% right, Nick, when you say when you don't have the corporate backing, it's really tough to have, to have the necessary funding to um, to run a successful in- indie ball franchise. Uh, just take Somerset, for example. I mean, the amount of cor- the amount of 
companies that sponsor there and back them it, it is it's crazy i mean you look at the outfield wall there it's just full of ads uh and you have so many you have so many sponsors for different promotion promotional nights and uh, that that's a big reason why somerset is as successful as they are beyond beyond their uh, the attendance that's pretty good and i think that if Sioux, if Sioux Falls doesn't have that, regardless of who the owner is, it's gonna it's gonna be tough for for them to succeed, especially with a ballpark that's not really um, up to American Association standard, like you mentioned. It's just it's really tough, like you said, to get those people to plan to go out to a ball game. It's really just kind of a, a spontaneous thing where, and they mentioned on the podcast as well, it's one of those things where it's like, oh well. Look, there's the baseball game tonight. Want to go? Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? And they go in, and that's how that goes. I mean, I know for me, most of the time when I'm going to see a baseball game, it's more you just throw it in the group chat like, hey, anyone want to do something either tonight or tomorrow? Maybe see a baseball game? And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? And it's just kind of done like that. It's not the kind of thing where three months out, you're playing, up. Oh, I'm going to the game this night. It, right. It's not how that works. And like you said, being downtown also has a whole host of other advantages. And being part of a hands-on ownership group, this is one of those times where, you know, being hands-on is a good thing. There's times where, you know, you just, you leave it be and whatever it is, it is. And you just trust the people you hire to do the job that you hire them to do. This is one of those times where, you know, you're better off being a little hands-on here and being like, look, I'm part of this organization and everything that it is. And like mm -hmm. you said, and, and, and the, the one other thing I want to mention here is an a really big advantage that a local ownership group would give is their relationship with different companies in the community. And I think that's the really, that's the really important piece that the Canaries are missing and they really need with, with, with a local ownership group. And, and to be honest, I don't know why any indie ball team has a, a, an ownership group that's not committed to um, the, in, in their local community. Cause that's such a big, uh, big aspect of independent league baseball. And it's such a big deal when when you have I don't know again I hate to keep relating this back to Somerset but they're a pretty good example. Um, the Califer family has a really good relationship with RWJ Barnabas Health or uh, or other companies uh, in the in the Central New Jersey area. Yes, it, yes, it exists. Doesn't exist. Yeah, it, it exists. It Stop doesn't it. exist. And um, so anyway, but when you have a local ownership group that has re actual relationships with different companies, it, it's much easier to, to try to convince different companies to to help you out with some funding than it is for some random businessman who doesn't even live in Sioux Falls, who just comes up to you, comes up to you as, as a local business owner uh, randomly and says, hey, you want to buy a sponsorship? Like, well, I don't I don't know who you are. Like that, that's that that's uh, that's a whole big thing, and and I think that's what the Canaries really need. Yeah, doing business is a lot easier when you know who you're doing business with. It's a lot easier to say no when you don't know who's on the other end. So, uh, with that said, we'll kind of go and shift focus now to uh, the first of the two commissioners we're going to talk about this week. That being Josh Shop, and he had tweeted out, and this is what kind of spurred the whole conversation that they held their AA meetings. They just they just wrapped up. A couple of days ago, it was about a two-day-long meeting, and they're, they're working to make further progress with Major League Baseball and their partnership, as well as possible expansion. So that's always something that's fun. It's a sexy topic for uh, fans because, you know, 
the, the whole branding, the identity, the new teams you had it scheduled, the uniforms, everything about it. It's just a fun thing. Obviously, it's a lot more fun when you're on this end of the table talking about all the fun things about it as opposed to working out the nuts and bolts of it. Right. But, but regardless, I thought that was interesting to see already one of the larger independent leagues continue to grow as it seems like everybody's going through a period of expansion now and the funny thing is it seems like all three of these leagues are expanding regardless of what happens with these former milb teams that those Mm -hmm. are going to obviously be picked up by each of these leagues everyone's going to grab a handful of them but you're going to see marks that didn't have baseball period now work to the fold there and so uh, with that, we can kind of just shift right into the Sabercast talk. And uh, there's a couple of points I took away from all of this. And we'll kind of work through all of my points. We'll work through all of your points. And hopefully we'll cover everything. And we'll do the same for the Rick White interview here. But the first thing I had was just the kind of way that, uh, according to Shab, that Indie Ball was kind of seen by the commissioner's office, particularly under Bud Selig. I was kind of viewed as like a sandlot league, and he was telling his teams, you know, avoid these leagues, they're no good. Uh, that was something that was a bit interesting to me, than, than how that mainly changed after the Atlantic League partnership. Uh, those were the two of the first things that kind of popped out to me. I think that was really a big thing that I, I took away as well, just because... It, say what you want about about the MLB partnership, just to be able to be recognized by the MLB as like a, a partner league, or even even it doesn't have to be a partner league, but in a lot of other instances, just to be recognized as another avenue of really high quality professional baseball by the Major League Baseball community. That's a really big, uh, really big thing for uh, any indie league, and now you're seeing w- with partner leagues. I know Rick White talked about it. Uh, at length as well. And I think that's something that really did change with the Atlantic League um, agreement to test rules and, and, and stuff like that. And it's something we'd never really seen. And you're right, specifically, and Josh Schaub is correct, especially with, with Bud Selig, we never never would have thought to to um, seen anything like this. Um, and I, I know I have my personal feelings on Rob Manfred. I know you do as well, mm-hmm. Nick. And I think... Uh, but that this is def- the one a couple some of the positives that have come out of Rob Manfred being commissioner uh, of the MLB. I think just his relationship with indie ball leagues is definitely definitely one of the positives that you can take away from an otherwise interesting tenure as, as commissioner. Yeah, I I think uh, and I go into a lot on this on the uh, in the article I re- wrote and released back on Tuesday which is what these partnerships and what the partnerships with each of these leagues kind of does for them is it gives them a sense of legitimacy that might not have been there beforehand. It, before, you know, the average person like, oh, they're whatever. They're, they're the way that MLB teams used to look at. They're washed up guys. They're lower level guys. And obviously that's not the case. There's a lot of high quality talent guys. I mean, just look at how many former independent league ball players are playing in the MLB postseason or have played in the MLB postseason over the last year. It's very clear that these guys are talented ball players that just didn't get a shot or they're, they needed a second shot because, you know, yeah. they got cut unfairly or whatever the case may be. And so it, it definitely, the partnerships definitely grant that legitimacy and on the partnership. So part of Josh Robb went into part of, uh, what being a partner league means. I know Rick White went into it a little bit too, but he was saying that's mainly based off of marketing and 
marketing between not just MLB and the American Association, but MLB, the American Association, Frontier League, and Atlantic League, that they're going to have a group marketing effort to kind of promote all of them. So it's more of a brand integration between all the partnership leagues and MLB, which was interesting to me. Also, the collective purchasing, meaning instead of, you know, each league buying individual things such as like maybe bats, Roslyn, Speedy Dry, uh, chalk balls things like that that every league's buying you could just make one giant bulk purchase and then parse it out to the leagues from there just to make things cheaper and more efficient mm-hmm. also uniform player transactions again another thing i touched on in the uh, article as well uh, i'll go into more detail about what that means in just a second also it means they're part of the development pipeline as well uh, mainly that they could kind of fill the roles of some of these cut uh, levels of independently or affiliated ball that maybe the frontier league now acts more as like a rookie league or a high a league type level um, yeah and then the the most exciting part of all of this was how there is talk of partner leagues competing in some type of postseason play which I know <laughs> we've been two of the most vocal, outspoken critics of what Major League Baseball is doing. And obviously, those criticisms are very valid and they're not going to go away. But I will say, if I get the Memorial Cup tournament that I've wanted for years now, for years, I it makes this a lot easier to swallow. I will say that much. <laughs> Because yeah, it certainly does. As much as I hate the contraction, my where my focus still is and where my priority still lies is independent league baseball, and that is something that will tremendously benefit independent league baseball. And in addition to that, just the thought of it is so much goddamn fun to have that every year. Like to host a tournament in High Point, to then have it hosted in, like, Ottawa, to then have it hosted in, like, Chicago, to have it bounce around like that and to see the best of the best compete against each other. My God, that would just be so much fun to to see that. And we went into detail about this before, and obviously there's logistical challenges here, but with them all being partnership leagues, a lot of those challenges get a lot easier to solve. A lot easier. Yeah, I think I think the big thing, uh, like you mentioned, just the fact that the American Association, the Frontier League, and the Atlantic League are all really kind of working together now. Uh, it's something we didn't really see uh, f- five years ago or, or even a couple of years ago, to, to, to be honest with you. And that Memorial Cup, yes, that does sound super exciting. And Nick, I, you, you've been pushing for it for so long, even back when I was when I was just like a guy listening to, to the indie ball report, you were still pushing for for this whole uh, for the, for this whole like Memorial Cup indie ball um, kind of tournament idea, and I, I think that that's the thing that makes it really exciting. Uh, if that hopefully if it comes to fruition, like you mentioned, there's still plenty of hurdles that need that need to be overcome. But I think uh, as far as partner league uh, as far as the whole uh, partner league idea and what it does, I, I think. The, the mass purchasing thing, it definitely helps out indie ball teams to become more, maybe uh, indie ball leagues, I should say, to become a lot, a lot more sustainable to help them out uh, w- with different, with different cost aspects of running a league. I think that definitely helps. 
especially in a time of a pandemic where I think everybody uh, everybody has has endured um, some some pretty big financial loss in the world of professional sports. And not to mention next year, I mean, you, you could possibly be looking at some limited limited attendance once again. And so that that obviously could could hurt some some leagues financially as well. And so I think any anything to kind of ease the financial burden on the American Association Frontier League and the Atlantic League is certainly certainly a good thing. And I think the um, and just the different marketing ideas of being a partner league, uh, you know, it doesn't really appeal to me per se because I mean, me and you, we both understand uh, independent league baseball yeah. and the talents there and uh, and, and all that stuff. So, it's, but again, it's not really meant to appeal to guys like us. It's meant to appeal to to people who are there for a, for a night out and saying, "Oh, this is a, a, a partnership league of major." baseball and maybe it's a big deal to them maybe it isn't but i guess it i guess it doesn't hurt to uh to to slap an mlb logo on there and see what happens exactly that's going to help a lot of people like you said that aren't really aware about it and that's something i do dive into again in that article and we'll talk about that towards the end uh it helps it it helps for that plus i also think in a lot of other markets that may have a couple of independent league options it kind of lets you know okay they're all I know what I'm going to get. It, there's a certain quality of experience that's going to be the same across the board here. Um, so that's uh, that's a good thing on that front. And then I do want to just mention the uniform player transactions. Uh, this goes back to at least what Chop was saying as far as there's guys that will sign a contract with, let's say, the American Association, but then they'll go play in the Atlantic League or they'll play in Mexico or they'll go play somewhere else despite having a contract with the American Association that they signed first. And what they're, what MLB is supposedly going to do is act kind of like a governing body in regards to those contracts and roster disputes to say, okay, well, you signed here, you're going to have to play here and just kind of enforce roster rules. He kind of compared it to being like FIFA in that regard. So I do know that that is occasionally a problem that you'll have some guys jump around from league to league However, if they're going to play in a non, like in a different uh, country, really, and not playing in a in a different independent league, I don't really see what the what the problem is here. Presumably, the Mexican league is a higher level league, or at least is yeah. seen that way. So, wouldn't that be more of a positive thing? I mean, like I yeah. understand the point is, well, they signed a contract. Well, let's say they should honor that contract, namely because then it would force these other leagues to either trade for or purchase the contract of that player, and it's better for business that way. But I, even still, it seems like it very well could be a major problem, and I, I just don't understand the whole ramifications of it. But it just doesn't seem to be that big of a problem, at yeah. least on the surface. <laughs> As I understand it, I'm really, I guess I'll take more of a stronger position on this. I'm really not a fan of Major League Baseball having any say over what individual players decide to do. I understand the idea of them signing contracts uh, and you wanting to honor that contract, but let's be real here. I mean, at the end of the day, they're not really getting paid a whole lot, no matter what league they play in, uh, at least in the U.S., mm. for, for, for indie leagues. And so... I mean, what you're holding them to paying them three thousand dollars a month and holding them at ransom to play in in a certain league. I mean, I'm sorry, but 
guys that are that get picked up and go to Mexico, they should be celebrated. Like, wow, awesome. You, you get a shot to go to Mexico. I remember um, when I was listening to, to the, Mike, uh, the Mike Ashmore podcast, uh, and they brought on Vince Molesky, a former Somerset Patriots pitcher. He said that when he got picked up from the Patriots and went to Mexico, that was his major leagues. Because at the end of the day, he, he that wasn't really an overpowering guy. He was getting up there in age, and he he, he knew he was never going to to make the major leagues. However, he 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 really said that. Listen, Mexico at the end of the day was his major leagues. Not to mention the salary is is a hell of a lot higher in Mexico than it than it is uh, in any of the U.S. indie leagues. And so, if if guys want to go to Mexico and are good enough to go to Mexico. That should that should be a thing that's celebrated. Like, awesome! You're going to get an extra paycheck. You're going to play in a league that that that's um that's a lot that's probably better talent wise as well. I think I, I think that's a thing that should be celebrated and not a thing that that should be discouraged at all. Well, I see where you're coming from, but from the perspective of a commissioner, though, you have to keep in keep in focus that. Every league that you celebrate, look, our guy went to here is another league that you're promoting above yourself. And it's one thing when a guy that gets picked up by a major league organization, because, well, let's be real, there's no realistic, logical argument you can make that any independent league, regardless of where they're at, is better than the major leagues. So if they get picked up and put in a major league system, you can say, look, they're on their way to being in the best league on earth when you're pick up a guy and he's going to Mexico, it's like, okay, well, currently most of the people that, you know, view our product don't view the Mexican league as that much higher, if higher at all, than our league. But if we promote it as if it's higher than our league, we are risking a certain population thinking, oh, well, they're even worse than the Mexican league, as opposed to, oh, good for them, they're going to play in a better league. And you just have to keep in mind the kind of people that are watching your product and you just want to make sure you're not devaluing your own product whether that's the case or not the perception is what matters in that regard right i i understand what you're saying from, from a promotional aspect and i think you're right but i think from a from, from like a strictly baseball standpoint i think that if, if you don't want guys to go to, to go play in mexico then pay your players more i mean th- that that's really the big reason that a lot of guys in the Atlantic League are trying to get to Mexico, and, and I think and the money is definitely a, a big part of that. And so, if they don't if they don't want to compete, and I, the MLB and the Mexican League have some pretty major beef. I mean, they used to be pretty. Uh, it used to be that the ML, MLB organizations could purchase contracts from the Mexican League in the same way that they purchase contracts from the Atlantic League or the American Association. Uh, or the Frontier League as well, uh, but they had some transparency issue as far as some medical records, and now they're not really on good terms at all. So I, I, I can understand why they're trying. Maybe they're trying to use this as a uh, trying to hurt the Mexican League a little bit as well. But I think that from a, from a player standpoint, it's it's it should be something that they're trying. They're still trying to do if maybe. There, maybe they realize that, hey, I'm 32, 33, and I still, I still love playing baseball, but getting to the major leagues is probably not something that's going to happen for me at this point. But getting picked up from, to go to Mexico or even 
even we've seen guys, we've seen plenty of guys go to Taiwan in the past. Yep. We've seen a couple guys go to, go to KBO in Korea in the past that, and make us a, a significant amount of money. And I remember, again, I'm, uh, listening to the Mike Ashmore podcast. I think, uh, I think it was pitcher Corey Reardon talking about how he was pitching in Somerset. He got picked up. And uh, he went to play in Taiwan and just playing that half a season in Taiwan. He said that after playing that season in Taiwan, even though I, I think it didn't go great and he was back in Somerset the next year, but just playing that season in Taiwan, the money was so much better that it allowed him to play another season in independent league baseball, not making a ton of money. So I think I, I still think I understand from the promotional aspect and you don't want to make, um, other leagues look that much better than an MLB partner league. I get it, but I think from a from a baseball perspective, it still should be something that's celebrated. And I know players probably should, probably feel the same way that they're that are trying to get to the Mexico's, the Taiwan's, uh, and in Korea as well. I think it's also just important to note, though, this isn't at least from what I can gather, not going to stop these leagues from selling the contracts to the to the Mexican league. It's just going to stop players from completely piecing out on a contract that was already signed so they can't shoot like if they have a contract offer from mexico but they are already contractually obligated to play for the american association they have to fulfill the obligations of the american association they can't go to mexico unless the team sells the contract to the mexican team uh, that that's my understanding of it the, my, my understanding of the problem was simply players just not honoring contracts Honestly, still though, if you have an opportunity to play in Mexico, I, I and I don't and, like. I understand and, where you're I, coming from. It's yeah. just I understand. I understand both sides here, where the player wants to go where they're going to get paid more and have a better shot at either moving up or at least continuing their career longer because it's financially possible. However, I also understand the other side of we had a contract, we had an agreement, and now you're going to leave to go somewhere else. That's not how this works. If you want the freedom to go somewhere else, you shouldn't have signed this contract or at least right. ask I, us I, to I, move the contract. Yeah, see, I guess I'm used a little bit more to the, uh, the, the Atlantic League idea where the Atlantic League is very, uh, is very open and very flexible. As far as far as how the how contracts work, it's a lot more. And I know uh, specifically in the in the Michael Fass uh, interview, the Long Island Ducks yeah. uh, president and GM. I think he 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 talked about this at length, and I think that's kind of what I'm a little bit more used to, I guess. Uh, and it's a lot more. There's a lot more freedom for players uh, than in the American Association and the Frontier League, where their contracts are a little bit more binding so I, I guess that's where the the disagreement or well maybe not maybe not a disagreement because you do you, you definitely see both sides but i guess where, where my dislike this whole idea comes from mm. plus i do know i think a lot of their issues with at least other independent leagues kind of stem from their option that they have and i know that's something that faf had talked about saying how a lot of the american association guys they don't like the fact that there's they have an option here in their american association contract and we don't have that in the Atlantic League, we yeah. it's a, every year it's a one year deal. There's no option to renew it, and I definitely could see how the option would be uh, annoying to a player. Uh, Great, hundred percent. So we'll move on from that now because we do have a lot to cover, and we are uh, running here. Also important here, uh, Shop reiterated that the league will remain autonomous. They will make their own rules. 
They will make their own rosters, their own schedules, have their own umpiring crews, that the league is going to remain autonomous from MLB, and that this is mainly a marketing and promotional partnership. That is the main yep. focus of it. Um, yep, good, good thing. So we can have at least one league with real extra innings. I, I get, really get the sense you don't like the extra inning rule. Uh, but- it's, it's, a, it's like... It's like a shootout in hockey or a penalty kicks in soccer. It's it's such an artificial way to end the game. That's just my opinion. And if you want to go to a runner on second inning on second in like the twelfth inning, I have no issue with that. But I think that uh, at least play two extra innings. Like the rule, like at least play two where it's under the same rule set, and then if we still can't find a winner. Yeah, I mean, I I understand why a regular season game that goes say. uh, 17 innings really isn't great for anybody. I, I understand that, which is why, again, if you want to do that starting in like the 12th inning, but at least give them a chance to end the game like, you know, the right way. See, I'm in the camp of I'm fine with the rule because, like you said, I understand why it's not a good thing in the regular season to have games run long, especially weekday games. Uh, you're just going to have a mostly empty ballpark and playing for the sake of playing, uh, and it's just going to be bleeding money. So I totally get that. But like I said, I want it nowhere near the postseason. And I do kind of wonder, would it just be better? Because obviously, there's a large number of people that aren't fans of the rules. If you just said, okay, we'll play the 10th inning under the regular set of rules. And we still don't have a winner after 10. We'll just go to a home run derby to to end it. Because if it's gimmicky (laughs) either way. That'd be crazy. See, if you're going to go gimmicky, just go full gimmick. Like, that's my logic here. Don't go half in. Go all in on it. (laughs) <laughs> but it's true that's a good point so we have that and then we got another thing here that i think's going there's a couple other points here um i'll cover some of the less uh conversational points real quickly and it's that uh Shaw kind of expects to see more independent leagues particularly ones focused on younger players start to pop up and likewise he expects to see more transactions with major league baseball all of this is really like is that focused on the american association as he is the commissioner of the american association so obviously he's going to talk from his perspective and from his point of uh knowledge uh which is obviously driven from this league he overseas uh likewise there's two other points here that i made that i thought were interesting and then once we get through them we'll talk about the rick white interview quickly which is he was a bit peeved at some of the milb teams for talking about mlb leaving them behind and definitely from what he was saying he gets the sense that they're being very hypocritical because milb operators have left towns behind in the past with no qualms and now to say well major league baseball is leaving us behind is a bit hypocritical and basically saying, look, if the towns support baseball, they'll have baseball in some form. It may not be the form that they're used to, but they will have baseball. So if they want it, they'll have it. And he applauded Manfred's one baseball idea, saying it has a lot of validity to it. I will say this is one point where I do disagree with him on. I think there's a large difference between one or two operators dodging town every couple of years to go somewhere else as opposed to 40 of them disappearing in one foul swoop. And likewise, there's a major difference between being affiliated and unaffiliated. That's very clear. There's a reason why a team in your own league is talking about becoming affiliated in St. Paul. There's a reason why Somerset's talking about becoming affiliated, why I think we all kind of expect Sugar Land to be, but Sugar Land's talking about it as well. 
All these teams have some of the best attendance across independent league baseball as well. They're incredibly well-ran organizations, and that's why we're saying you can replace them, but you can't replace them. They're, you can't make up for those teams in the aggregate. There's no way it's possible. So it's not like these teams would be courted by and entertain the offer to be affiliated with another team for the sake of it, because, look, it's all equal. There's a lot of advantages in being affiliated, and a lot of operators can only make that work through that way. And while, yeah, yeah it's saying using the community as the out for I can't afford the team may not be the best way, likewise, there's a stark difference between affiliated attendance and unaffiliated attendance in the same marketplace. And there's really no way you can argue that point. I mean, even when, when let's just use Camden and Lakewood, for example. Camden had objectively higher quality players. They had better talent level when they existed. And they're roughly speaking as close as you can get in the same general area. Uh, they're both South Jersey. And obviously Lakewood's a nicer area than Camden is. There's other factors that play in there. But attendance wise, one was clearly better than the other. If, if you want to use a current day example, fine. We'll use Rockland and a team like Binghamton. Binghamton being a double-A level, Rockland being, I'd say, they're fairly comparable skill level-wise. Everything being equal, they drew similar attendance-wise. And Binghamton is on the cut list because they were traditionally at the bottom of attendance come the Eastern League. I know, yeah. There's a very stark difference here. And I understand why you're saying this. You got to toe the company line. And obviously, you don't want to make a stark difference because, again, we just talked about devouring your product. And if you go, oh, I can understand why they don't want to become affiliated. It's very difficult. Or want to become unaffiliated. It's very difficult making it. You obviously do damage to your own brand. I get that. But to say in earnest that, look, they're being hypocritical here. They've done the same thing and the communities will have baseball one way or the other. And it's, it really is no different right now. And I, they should just go along with it is a, is a bit, uh, I just, I can't agree with that. It's, yeah. I, I, uh, I 100% agree. Yeah. I 100% agree. I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep it short because you said pretty much everything I would say. But if you think that fans are, if you think that fans are just gonna, not going to notice the difference when you go from uh, when you go from a, a, a some, when you go from an affiliated team to a, uh, to a summer collegiate team, then I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, just saying that oh well, they're going to have baseball, so they they got to relax. Like no, that that's not that's not how any of that works. And that's I mean, you, everyone. I mean, I, I've said my feelings about this lots of times, but. Just that, just making it better by saying, "Well, you'll have some sort of baseball." Doesn't it, it doesn't justify anything? And I think Nick, you brought up two great, great points about comparing Binghamton and Rockland, and we consider Rockland to be one of the most successful indie ball franchises in the Can-Am, out of the Can-Am League, probably the most successful hmm. uh, attendance-wise. And I think that when you compare them to Binghamton, who's on the chopping block, I mean. That's how that really tells you all you need to know. And I think that just saying, oh, well, they'll have baseball in some form is not really a legitimate argument of opinion. Yeah, I think you really you have to ignore a lot of factors for that. And like I said, I understand why he's saying it. He's kind of expected to say it. But uh, there's there's a lot of differences there. So uh, right. also when he said, well, look, these now independent teams. 
they'll be playing the win. They can have a legacy of championships here. It's like, yeah, that's great. But if you don't have ardent fans that care about that kind of thing and instead just care about having a night out, how much is the championship worth? Sure, guys like us who have a podcast about this are going to care about that. And there's going to be a couple of diehards that care about that. But at the end of the day, most people don't care. They just want to go out and see a ball game. And if there's a draw there, like a player rehabbing, a hot young prospect, uh, MLB using its connections to get better guest appearances there, whatever it may be, it's going to draw more of a crowd than not having that, not having the guy rehabbing, not having the, the huge star, not having the big name. I mean, there's a clear difference here. And there's a lot to be said. But I, that's just one of the points that I disagreed about. I agree with a lot of what he's saying. Uh, but that, that was just one area where I disagreed on. Uh, regardless, yeah, I, I think we can go to the Rick White interview. I know we're over the hour mark here, but uh, to be fair... You got shortchanged last week and the week before that. It was fairly short, so we can go a little long here, I think. And yeah. um, uh, seeing as this is pertaining to Rick White and the Atlantic League, and we have an Atlantic League expert here, I'll <laughs> allow him to take lead here and uh, kind of run through some things here. And if you know, don't mention something that I have written down, then I'll chime in. But I have a feeling that both of our notes on uh, the hour-long interview are going to be fairly similar. Yeah, so... The the two there was really two big points in, in this interview. I mean, outside of that, you had a lot of um, you know, like the, they're really proud of the uh, or of the Atlantic League organizations for being creative during this terrible, terrible year. Uh, a lot, a lot of stuff like that. Um, and so there were a couple things, and we already did kind of talk about what uh, what Rick White does look for when looking at expansion but which i'll get into in in a a minute so the two big points here that i took away from it and i think that is going to be most relevant to the fans is when i say relevant to the fans meaning not from like a marketing aspect from actual play on the field Hmm. he brought up obviously the extension of the mlb agreement for the atlantic league to test rules and the cu- the couple he didn't go into detail about a ton about a ton of rules, but a couple he did. Rick White did say that the stealing of first base, that whole rule that everybody knows and loves, uh, will be back for next season. Uh, he said that that's going to there's going to be other rules that will also return, but that is one that's that that is going to be back next season. Um, and one, one of the rules that is not going to be back is the shift ban, uh, which I, I actually, that was one of the rules where I'm like, you know what? I understand the need to try it. And I think that I, I didn't think it was, I didn't have a, t- a huge problem with it, but I do understand why the MLB could say, well, it, it doesn't really have a, a future. So why even try it? I mean, not that in my opinion of stealing first base has a, um, a huge opportunity to yeah it to, doesn't yeah. but I mean, it gives some a lot of notoriety to the atlantic league so i mean ha- it, again it doesn't really make as big of an impact on the game as people think just because it doesn't happen very often i think i remember it happening probably like four times in the entire second half of last season uh the couple other things that white mentioned was that there's gonna be some kind of change as far as a pitcher's delivery as far as speculation about that, 
this and this is just me completely speculating. It's not something I've heard from anybody. But I wonder, I wonder, Nick, if mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I bet they probably bring back the pickoff rule just because the, the the rule that you have to completely step off the rubber uh, when you're when you're making a pickoff, no matter what base you're throwing to. I wonder if, considering the fact that they put that into single A, I bet that stays. In order to kind of balance it out, I wonder if they, for with pitchers, maybe because he's mentioning something, a change with some sort of delivery, maybe it to try to balance out so uh, so guys just can't steal second base whenever they want. Maybe there's some kind of rule like, oh, a pitcher doesn't have to come set when they're in the stretch to kind of try to uh, help help pitchers try to keep runners close and they can't just steal second base as soon as like a leg as soon as like a leg comes up maybe something like that is what i was thinking uh uh, from that comment i guess before i go on like you did you get that maybe i mean did you i got the sense that like i got the sense that they're gonna alter the rule definitely i mean basically said that i think i don't i think that what you could definitely see is are relaxing of it as in maybe not step off the rubber entirely or or changing something i think a lot of pitchers definitely complained about it i think a lot of teams complained about it because it got ridiculous frankly the rule shouldn't really be there to begin with like i understand why they're testing it because stealing doesn't really happen in major league baseball anymore because it just doesn't make sense to do so uh so I get it, but at the same time, they're going to keep it, but I don't know how they're going to change. I think that's certain. I think what you're saying is certainly uh, a possibility, but I don't, I don't know what they can really do to make that big of a difference. Yeah, I mean that that's the, that's the only thing I was really thinking of when he said, "Oh, we might try to alter like the delivery and stuff like that." Uh, and so those are the only rules you, oh, one other thing actually, as far as, I mean, I guess it's not really a rule, but, uh, in the sense of the MLB partnership, as far as the strike zone, White did say that he's, that they're going to tweak the strike zone a little bit to make it a little bit more realistic and less like three dimensional. Cause you saw, uh, during the second, during the second half of the 2019 season, the the automatic strike zone was pretty good on fastballs, or I'd argue very good on fastballs. But mm. whenever you started putting breaking balls into it, and maybe it's clipping a part of the plate when it actually misses by a ton, yeah. and like nobody in their right mind thinks it's a strike, but oh, it clipped a, the the bat like the the front yeah, fraction the front of it, of yeah, plate. yeah. And so when he says that, I hope that's what he means in the sense that. We're, we're trying to make this a little more realistic here and not calling pitches like that strikes, which I think got ridiculous, uh, in breaking, in, in the sense of breaking balls, uh, last year. I think that I, 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 I hopefully that's what he means. Now on the expansion part, he was asked, well, what is a, uh, what is an ideal number? Cause the Atlantic League did come out and say, we're looking for two to four more teams, uh, to bring into the league. And he said, to be honest, he didn't say anything about keeping the eight teams. He was saying, well, 10 to 12 teams is definitely what I'd like, and 12 looks really good, which means, wow, 
they have they're really going to be looking for uh, teams that and and he also said not all of them are minor league teams that are that are cut as well. I thought that was a really really interesting comment in the sense that a lot of these teams that could be losing their affiliation, it sounds like Rick White and the Atlantic League are going to be aggressive in going after. Uh, after some of those uh, after some of those markets, I mean Binghamton comes to mind. Maybe Frederick um, in, in Maryland, if it, it comes to that mm. it, as well. I think that that was really interesting. I don't really know how they'll get to twelve teams, even though he sounded pretty confident in that sense. I don't really know how that's going to happen, especially if Sugarland and Somerset become affiliated. I don't see how that's possible at all. But if he's um, confident in the sense that he can get to um, 12 teams. I, I'm interested to see how he does that. It's it's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to watch as we find out which minor league teams specifically are the ones losing their affiliation. Exactly. And that was one of the things that was really interesting. He said, regardless of what MLB does or doesn't do, we're talking to about half a dozen markets and that we'd like to get to 10 teams, but 12 is the number we really want to be at, but we could expect to see 10. And, I, I like you said, if they lose two teams or even just the one, I don't know what what they're going to be doing here because it seems really rushed at this point. Like Estonia took years to build, so unless they've been talking about this and keeping it under wraps, which would be very impressive that none of it came out, because I imagine there would have been something on some city council ledger for a meeting, or there would have been something that would have been a tip off for it. And somebody would have found it. I I don't know how they're going to be doing it this quickly as far as markets that don't have a team, period, right now. Uh, a couple of other things in regards to that. Uh, there was also, the they believe that there's an importance on the southern markets. They were talking real heavily about how the last two teams they put in were both in North Carolina and how they believe the southern market is important for expanding their footprint. So I definitely get the sense that they want to focus on continuing to put teams in the south and kind of keep that uh, kind of east coast, both northern and southern coastal lines, uh, mm. expanding and growing like that and possibly going towards the Gulf, that general area, and kind of maintaining a coastal league type look to it. Other thing on expansion I had written down, they also said now that MILB owners could own ALPB teams. That was something that couldn't be done in the past, which is mm-hmm. also... Uh, something of note there as well. Uh, then just circling back to the to the rules and whatnot, some of the other ones that I'm, I believe you mentioned most of them, but in case you didn't, uh, stolen first base, the bunt rule, and also something that was of interest was more tech on the field. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what he had said in the beginning, which was that the rule test will continue with a focus on the automated balls and strikes. So I'm interested to see what he means by... Um, technology on the field does this mean something in regards to like a race to the bag does this mean something uh could this be related to the uh delivery of pitchers even possibly uh there's a lot of possibility there he just kind of left it open-ended because he said i can't really say much more than there'll be more tech on the field uh so yeah I'm, i'm curious to know what that term meant uh, among other things of interest that I saw was that they were working with the commissioner's office for about six years, building up to this partnership. 
and that the Califers had a large hand in becoming a partnership league. So I do wonder if they were kind of like, look, you're going to become a partnership league. We're going to continue doing this thing. Otherwise, we're going to become affiliated, maybe holding that over their head. Uh, I'm not going to say that's what happened because let's be honest, if they wanted to leave, they could just leave. They don't really becoming a partnership league doesn't really help them all too much or at least no more actually help them less than just becoming affiliated to be quite honest and uh only other two things of note i really had here the converse uh was around their digital assets and that they're going to have some mlb.tv access as well as some licensing and marketing uh that matches up with what shab had said uh in regards to what being a partnership league meant uh so those all match up but i'm interested to see what he means by mlb tv does that mean we're going to get like atlantic light games on that too as a form of streaming Mm -hmm. or something I'm curious. That'd be awesome. I'd be curious to know what that means. I'd hope there's also another alternative so you don't have to buy that service in order to stream the games. I think that may uh, hurt viewership. But obviously, getting them on that service was is big in and of itself. Also, uh, just kind of a fun thing of note, there was mentioned that there'll be some sort of an Atlantic League kickball championship too. Uh, I'm not sure yeah. if he was just joking around there or not, but uh, I hope he wasn't. Then there's some news about Gastonia as well uh, in that... He said that Gastonia Ballpark should be mostly ready by Thanksgiving and that if we needed to or wanted to, we could start play there on January 1st. Some other things of note about Gastonia, it's a, a walk around, a wrap around ballpark, so you can walk around the entire concourse of it. You can walk around the outfield, first baseline, yeah. behind home plate, you get the point. And uh, there's no suites and only eight rows on the lower level of the ballpark. In fact, uh, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be yesterday, I put up some... Uh, pictures that i found on facebook of the ballpark and how it looks now and it has a very interesting look uh compared to traditional ballparks i will say that much but it does back that up there's only about eight rows of seats and it doesn't look like there's any sort of uh, luxury box or sweet box there which is extremely interesting when i when i look at ballparks i really like the idea of being able to walk around the, the entire field that's I'm a big fan of Rockland in that sense. Yeah. I love, I just love the idea of like, if you wanted to sit beyond the outfield fence and I don't know, take a shot at a home run ball if you wanted to. I think that is, that is really, uh, really good idea for me. I know like as much as some, as successful as Somerset and Long Island are, I don't love their ball, the, the part, and I, and I do like their ballparks. I don't love it in the sense that it's kind of just the wall and then the parking lot. Hmm. I wish there, and I not, and I know there's train tracks behind Somerset, so it's not, it's not, it's much easier said than done. But I wish, I wish there was a way to walk around the entire field. I think that's, I think that's super fun, uh, super fun to do, especially when you're kind of exploring a, a brand new ballpark. So I, I, I think um, Gastonia is, as far as the ballpark, I think in a way, it's pretty similar to High Point in the sense that. There's less rows up and down, but it's expand. It's extended further down the line, and I think that's definitely interesting. Maybe that's a, a new trend we'll see in my in minor league ballparks. I'm I'm not I'm not 100 sure, but it, kind of, it certainly seems that way. Maybe that's what people want. Uh, and I, like I said, I love walking around the outfield, so I always think that's a plus as well when you have adequate land to be able to do that i guess in somerset they really don't because of the train tracks i mean i guess you could have been left field if you wanted to mm-hmm. but um yeah i mean those uh, i'm very interested to see the what gastonia's park looks like when it's done i'm very excited for it 
Yeah, I think they're doing that mainly to create more of an intimate kind of thing to make you feel like you're closer to the action. Not necessarily on top of the players, but to make it seem like uh, you're at eye level, like you're on the field itself. To right. kind of give that kind of uh, that kind of sense there. And obviously they went with more open spaces and that goes to the wraparound because more people now, especially if your goal is to get the kind of people passing by going, oh, well, there's a baseball game tonight. Want to go? Yeah, sure. Why not? They're more likely to not just sit down and watch the game. They're going to be more likely to go into these giant open spaces, walk around. You know, if there's a bar area, they're probably going to go grab something to drink, sit down there, maybe watch the game, kind of BS amongst themselves. So you want more wider open spaces for people to kind of congregate and just kind of relax there. That's the main goal there. When you have all that space taken up by seats, it makes it very difficult to do. We even saw with Somerset's Next 25 uh, initiative, which I imagine that's still in progress, but may have been slowed down due to the pandemic. Part of their goal was to create more open spaces. They, I know they're planning on putting in a bar, amongst other things, or a bar area, rather, and kind of revitalizing the ballpark to fit more of that more modern kind of feel to it, that kind of uh, let's just all sit back and relax kind of thing and have the ball game in the background. But if you want to sit and watch the game itself, that's also an option. And right. it, clearly that's the trend that's being uh, proposed here. And it's going to be very interesting to see uh, if this continues across all new ballparks or how long the trend continues for. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how it kind of, how a new ballparks, if they follow that trend or if they do not. A couple other points here. He also alluded to, he being uh, Rick White, I think he alluded to, when he was talking about uh, working with the other partnership leagues, he alluded to mm. the uh, the tournament idea, which yep. I really am starting to think this is a serious possibility now, and I never thought we'd get to this point, so I'm really getting excited about that. And then uh, a couple other points here. Uh, I wanted to point out just a couple other things as to what goes into the Atlantic League markets. Uh, attendance, like I said, corporate sponsorship, like I said, family entertainment and slash entertainment options. Uh, you touched on this where it's, he even said, we love Gastonia Barsh because there's not a single movie theater in town. And that's one of the things we look for. How many theaters are there around? How many golf courses are there around? How many other things there are there to do outside of baseball in that town? Because if we're in an entertainment desert, more people are going to come to us to watch our product. And it's going to be better for that team and that ownership group. Uh, likewise, one thing that was interesting, because I figured he'd want a sympathetic community leader. People that are going to be more likely to help out the club or do things to aid them. Whether it be through financing, promotion, whatever it may be. Uh, but the thing that kind of took me by surprise was a healthy population was something he looks for, you know, fit families, as he put it, because if they're fit families, they probably play sports. And if they play sports, then they're probably going to be interested in watching sports. Right. And that's going to help drive that. That's something I didn't even think of. And it makes total sense. Likewise, he said there's a preference to turf over grass fields because it's just more sustainable in every sense over time. And it's more durable and more versatile, uh, which again makes sense here. But one thing I did want to point out was that my question was answered because mine was right. what goes into the marketplace and yours questions were not answered. So I know I, I, mine were more of a long shot 
but I knew I knew there wasn't a good shot. But you know, eh, it is what it is. I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. I, I guess they like me better. Uh, that's what I'm coming I guess away they from do. It with. Uh, my ego needs to be fed, so I'm going to assume that. Uh, so with that, I think we covered just about everything there. If you want to watch the hour-long, uh, it's kind of a town hall interview type thing, then by all means, go ahead and do so by going to our website, clicking show notes, and then just go down to the most recent episode, and in the drop-down tab for it, you'll have the link to the uh, Facebook video. So you can just go there and watch it and get all the information we gave you. Uh, so uh, with that said, I don't think there... We just got to really plug stuff and get out of here. Uh, We definitely didn't shortchange you this week. You got nearly an hour and a half long episode. So uh, for all you that like the uh, long episodes, you'll be happy this week. You can listen to all the other episodes, though, if you still haven't had enough of us. Um, Really, any podcast you have, so anywhere you can find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Pocket Cast 2, Amazon Music, Spotify. Uh, Like I said, anywhere you find podcasts, we should be there. Just type Indie Ball Report into the search box, click subscribe, review to help the podcast grow and you'll be on your way if you want to just find all the episodes in one easy place alongside the article i wrote which we didn't have enough time to talk about this week but uh you can read it for yourself and we'll being that it's now out for about a week i'll allow that to be promoted and we'll talk about it next week barring any sort of uh, major developments of course and you can read that article listen to all the shows and look at the show notes as well as videos all on the website indieballreport.com you can follow us on social media on twitter at indieballpod and you can follow us on instagram at alpb underscore news and at indieballreport i believe that's just about everything there uh do we have anything else left to add uh, my one thing to add this week is uh, the Rays and the Astros ALCS. The Rays had a 3-0 lead. The Astros have won the last two games. As a Red Sox fan, I take a ton of pride in the fact that we are the only team to come back de- from down 3-0 in a series as we did in 2004 to beat the New York Yankees in the ALCS. And I will be damned if uh, if the other team to join us is the cheating Houston Astros. No way. Come on, Rays. Please, the, the Rays, please, please win. Please defeat the Astros. This may age like milk because by the time most people are going to listen to it, the series will probably be over. But I'm eh, really, oh well, well, hopefully, I hopefully the Rays won then. I meant, I meant my comment, but okay. So I'm going to say this. I really want the Astros to win. I really hope they go to the World Series and win the World Series because I'm rooting for chaos. And I think it will piss off nearly every baseball fan if a sub-500 Astro team coming off of a huge cheating scandal wins the World Series. Or, my mistake, wins the piece of metal. If they do this, I'm just going to be so thrilled, especially if they can do this against the Dodgers. I know that doesn't seem very likely now, but if they could beat the Dodgers, let's say sweep them. After reverse sweeping the Rays. Oh man. The salt fest that will exist. Is going to be enough to sustain me for months. I want that to be pointed out. Because I want total chaos. And what would be more total chaos. Than the Astros reverse sweeping a team. And then sweeping the Dodgers. That would be chaos. That's what I want. And then my last bit of thing I wanted to add. Uh. The Rangers now have Alexis Lafreniere, and while I am deeply, deeply saddened to see Henrik Lundqvist in a different jersey that's not the New York Rangers sweater, 
Alexi Lafreniere is a New York Ranger, and that makes me very happy. Okay. Uh, just, I wanted to point that out because yeah. at some point, uh, when we get into the doldrums in the winter, I'm going to toss out just making one show about hockey because I've, <laughs> I've wanted to do that for quite some time. But uh, obviously, it doesn't fit the aesthetic. That said, and nothing else left to add, uh, until next week, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>